got to tell you, there are certain things that I get to do that are honestly a serious privilege, and that is one of them. Uh, baptisms, weddings, even memorial services or funerals are such a gift for me. Well, uh, we are continuing, as Joe mentioned, in this series called We Are Genesis 2.0. We've been in this series the last few weeks looking at the mission and the, the priorities of us as a local church. And uh, if you've missed any of that, you can go back, you can watch it online, you can go to our YouTube channel or our Facebook page, you can go onto our website and do that. But um, today, we're going to get to a subject that is really near and dear to my heart. And I know it is to so many of you as well. For the majority of my life, it's interesting, I was convinced and believed that the greatest character in all of the Old Testament was Moses. And, and you could argue that. I mean, he is probably the most commonly known character in all of the Old Testament. And for some people outside of Jesus, he may be the most well-known character in all of the Bible. And even if you don't go to church or you've not been around the church, you've not read the Bible, you probably know about Moses. You know about the burning bush, you know about the Red Sea, the whole thing. If he freed the Israelites from Egypt, he led them through the desert for 40 years. He came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. He brought the Israelites to the promised land. I mean, he is a biblical mogul if there ever was one. But then I read the book of Joshua. And Joshua was Moses' apprentice. Shortly before G Moses' death, Joshua was commissioned to become the new leader of Israel. And he would ultimately be the one that would lead the, the Israelites into the promised land. Not Moses, but Joshua. Moses would have the opportunity to simply look over the land. But before he entered into it, he would pass away. And Joshua would be the one that would lead them ultimately to the place that God had in mind for them. Now, from the very start of Joshua's leadership in Israel, you could tell that the, there are some amazing things that are going to happen. He leads them to victory over victory over victory as they secure the land that they had been promised. He was faithful. He was courageous. He trusted God and his word like just about nobody else. And because of it, so did the rest of Israel. They were faithful. They were courageous. They, they lived by the ways in which God had called to. And for almost a hundred years, Joshua would faithfully lead and guide the people of Israel into a lasting relationship with God. He, he really is an Old Testament hero of mine. And it, his, the story of Joshua, it inspires me. It inspires me to want to be a better leader, to be a better father, to be a better friend and husband. And I'll talk and turn back to it, especially the first few chapters, and I'll look for inspiration. And I'll look to the words that get said over and over and over to Joshua. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. Have faith as he leads the Israelites into the promised land. The book of Joshua truly is a gem in the Old Testament. But you know what I found out or realized? Is that I rarely read past Joshua. Now, I do every year. I, I walk through the scriptures every year. I read through them. But I don't ever really uh, go to anything past Joshua all that much. In particular, I don't go to the next book after Joshua all that much. Does anybody know what the next book is? Judges, right? Which just the word alone, you're like, ugh, right? Like, ugh. 
Judges. Like, who wants to read that? Now, the reason I don't go past it isn't because Judges isn't good reading. In fact, it's very good reading. Like, it's like crazy good reading. The reason I don't go to it very often is because what happens in the first couple chapters of Joshua or Judges, and in those couple of chapters, something happens that bothers me so much that I can't stand reading it. Let me point it out. Go ahead, open up your YouVersion app if you haven't done so yet. By the way, that is a free resource on your phone, your mobile device. Download it. If you're looking for a way to just scan the Bible, figure out where to start, read some stuff about what's going on in your life, no better place to turn. You can also go there, go to more in the bottom right-hand corner, click events, and then you'll be able to follow along with everything I'm going to read this morning. And we're going to start in Joshua, or Joshua, I'm going to get this mixed up a lot, by the way, Joshua, Judges, Judges chapter two, and I'm going to start in verse six, okay? And here's what it starts out. Here's how it starts out in Judges chapter two. It says, after Joshua sent the people away, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them. Now, keep in mind at this point, they have secured the promised land and they have been allotted by their tribes certain sections of the land. And so they're going now. They're dispersing into the land that they've been allotted. And it goes on. And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him. Those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. Great start, right? Great start. The leaders of the tribes of Israel take possession of their portion of the promised land. They go on serving God and they do it with great faith and great courage. And even after Joshua's death, some of the, 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 the succeeding leaders, they continue to, to follow God and they continue to be faithful. And, and then one verse later, we're told something that just bothers me to my core. One verse, this is what it says. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he'd done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after God, other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them, and they angered the Lord. It makes me wonder, how does something like that happen? By the way, if you read the rest of the Old Testament, it doesn't get a whole lot better. In fact, in most places, it gets a lot worse for Israel. How does, it ha how does an entire generation abandon God after everything that had happened only a few decades before? How does a new generation stray so far from God that it says God would be angry about it? Well, like I mentioned, we're in this fourth week of this series, we're Genesis 2.0, and in this series, we're looking at where is God leading us next? Where is he leading us to in the future? And we're taking a close look at who he's calling us to be and what he's calling us to do. We believe he desperately wants us to be this thriving community of changed lives, changing lives. And so we spent the past few weeks looking at some of our priorities that we have to, to accomplish that. Things like we want to be people who follow Jesus and 
and connect with others. They're guardrails for us as a church. And we want to do this in a way that not only pleases God, but actually makes a difference in our world. And today we're coming to our third priority as a church, invest in the next generation. Now you might wonder why we would even make that a priority, right? I mean, we just dedicated children. Isn't it just assumed that we would invest in the next generation? Isn't that just part of what a church does? I mean, we've got a, a, Genesis, a great Genesis kids ministry. Like if you go back there, it is humming. It is awesome. If you come here on a Wednesday night, man, AMPS, our student ministry is kicking butt. Like there were, I don't know, 40, 50 kids here on Wednesday. They're eating food. There's French toast everywhere. There's like, you know, candy and games. And it's amazing. They're engaging with God's word. They're learning to love each other and God more deeply. It's amazing. I mean, what more do we need to do, Right. And we are already doing it. And in some respects, yeah, we are already doing it. We do have a great kids and student ministry. But here's the reality. The statistics show us that we're still falling way behind when it comes to the next generation knowing Jesus. Uh, Tom Rayner is the leading voice on statistical evidence for the church. He releases statistics all the time, him and Barna. He's released numerous books on the good and the bad statistics for the church in America specifically. And one of the categories he shares consistently about is the effectiveness of the church to reach and retain the next generation. And I just want to share some statistics with you about Gen Z. Now, Gen Z, if you're not familiar with what that is, are those uh, people in, our, in the world who were born between the years of 1996 and 2010. They are now the single largest generation to walk the face of this earth. And a recent study revealed this about them. That 50% of Gen Z teenagers consider themselves Christian or Catholic. 35% of the entire generation consider themselves atheist or agnostic. But only 4% of those who consider themselves Christian have a biblical worldview. I mean, those are some interesting statistics, don't you think? And here's the thing, yeah, 50% consider themselves Christian, but by what standard? By what measure? Because only 4% of them actually believe that the Bible is relevant and should, uh, should change their worldview and how they live. 50% are claiming I'm a Christian, but only 4% are saying I follow Jesus? I mean, there's also some serious statistics. And here's the thing. If some things don't change in 50 years, I'm afraid that people will be saying this about us. They'll be reading Judges 2.10 saying, this is you. Because after that generation died, another generation grew up who didn't acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he'd done for Israel. They'll say that about us. And by the way, if you didn't know this, right behind Gen Z is Gen Alpha, born between 2010 and 2025. And statistics about Gen Alpha are just as startling as, as Gen Z, and they will even outpace Gen Z in number. They'll become the greatest and largest population to ever walk the face of this earth. So I want to go back to Judges real quick as we think about the next generation, and I want us to ask that question again. What happened? What happened in Judges that only one generation later they strayed away from God completely. And maybe even to ask ourselves, what has happened with us and the generations that are coming up? Well, I believe it boils down to two words. 
they assumed. They assumed. The Israelites, they just assumed the next generation was getting it. And they just went along as they always had. They just did things the way they always did. They just connected with each other the way they always had. And I believe that likewise, we have been just assuming the next generation will get it. And we've just gone along the way we always have. And it's not that we don't want the next generation, right, to know about Jesus. We just assumed they would. We, we just assumed that our way, and I'm using that universally, our, for those of us, a part of older generations, that our way of doing church would be sufficient. We just assumed that our preferences would be their preferences. We assumed that being on the cutting edge of music in the 1700s would appeal to a new generation, <laughs> right? We assumed that the Bible really would come alive to them when we did an in-depth study of the book of Obadiah. We assumed that we knew, that they knew that we cared about social issues even though we never really did anything about it. They're getting it. Now, look, I, I get it. It seems a little harsh, right? It needs to be because the reality of what we're facing is kind of harsh. We are barely scratching the surface on reaching and investing in the next generation. And it breaks my heart. And I'm telling you, it should break your heart too. This is exactly why one of our mission priorities is to invest in the next generation. We take this situation very seriously and we believe that with God's help, we can do everything to let the next generation know Jesus is still as relevant as ever and is still the greatest need even in their lives. And here's the good news. We can do it. Thank you, front row. We can do it. I mean, look, statistics are statistics. I, I get it. It's a good barometer. You know, it's something to go, okay, we should be aware of that. But statistics can change. They can change. Because here's the good thing about Gen Z and Gen Alpha. There is a spiritual hunger in the next generation, unlike generations prior. I mean, overall, the statistics show that they still believe that church could be a place to find answers for a meaningful life. 82% of Gen Zers said that. They just don't find it relevant or as if the church even cares if they're there. In addition, Gen Zers are eager to find answers to the numerous questions about life and faith, but they're finding more relevant and accepting environments in other religions and philosophies than in the church. Look, the next generation wants to be here. They want to be a part of the church. They want to know about Jesus. They want meaning and purpose and an abundant life. But the church, we're doing very little to help them. Now look, I'm not getting any younger. I'll be 45 next year, and I realize that... Did somebody just groan about that? I feel... Look... All right. And I say that because I realize that my preferences and my ideas and my presuppositions, they aren't always what's best for the next generation. But here's what I do know. 
I want to learn. I want to grow. I want my preferences and my ideas to be challenged because I don't want to retire in 25 years and look at this local community and realize the next generation is nowhere to be found. That's my worst nightmare. I've literally woken up at three in the morning with that nightmare. So I want to just talk first to those of us who are in past generations, who are part of older generations, specifically those of us who are maybe... 30 years old and older, okay? Because there are some things that we need to be challenged in if we want to be a church that helps reverse some of the statistics and actually goes about investing in the next generation. And the first thing, friends, that we got to do, those of us in the older generations, like me, Gen X, I'm a Gen X or barely, barely, okay? Just barely, so you know. The first thing we got to do is we have to pursue humility and authenticity, I can think of no better way than for us to do than for us to do than to ask God to give us a posture of humility and authenticity. Because it's so easy, isn't it, to get stuck in our own pride that we can't even acknowledge that this problem really exists and we haven't done anything to fix it. It's so easy to be like, ah, it's not really that big of a deal. We'll figure it out. That's not my problem. You know? I love Jesus. I follow, they need to follow Jesus. It's so easy to get caught up in the cycle of pride. But what we need is a posture of humility because only when we're able to see that we have made some mistakes and are willing to admit them, can we begin to see the solution to the problem. Do you know, here's my prayer as I get older. This is what I want my prayer to be and is consistently. Psalm 71, 18 says, now that I'm old and gray, and by the way, it looks brown, but there's some gray in there. Now that I'm old and gray, do not abandon me, abandon me, O God. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. This is this guy's retirement, by the way. Do you know what this guy's retirement is? Hey, look, I've lived my life. My goal now is to tell the next generation about Jesus. Listen, I, I'm all about retirement, you know? I love it. I think it's great. But if your goal in retirement is to sail off into the sunset, you need to repent of that. You need to come back. Because the scriptures say, as you get older, as you get grayer, we ought to be proclaiming the power of our God to the next generation. That should be the end, of our, end goal of our lives, is that the next generation would know who Jesus is, that we would spend our time and our money making sure the next generation knows who Jesus is. If I'm telling you to do that, it's going to take an incredible amount of humility and authenticity. You have to be willing to set aside your pride to be completely honest with yourself and others about what is happening inside of you and inside the church. Second, older generations, we got to choose people over preference. I say this a lot to people because we love our preferences, man, right? And there is nothing wrong with preferences until they become more important than people. Here's the deal. The longer you follow Jesus, 
the less important your preferences ought to become. I mean, look at the life of Paul, okay? Let's just take the life of Paul as an example. Before becoming a Christian, he despised anyone who followed Jesus, right? So much so that he would go so far to imprison and execute those who came against his preference as being a God-fearing, pharisaical Jew. But then he becomes a follower of Jesus, and everything changes for Paul. Not only about Christians, but those who aren't Christian or those who are Jewish. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, even though I'm a free man with no master, I become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. How many of you consider yourself a slave to all people? When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under it. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Here's the thing. As you follow Jesus, if you are truly following Jesus more closely and more consistently every single day, your preferences will start to take a back seat to the people you're hoping to reach. And if they don't, you ought to consider how closely you're following Jesus. We are trying to reach a next generation that is growing up with Jesus at the center of their lives. And that generation is starving for a church who's more concerned about them than their preferences. And we intend to be that kind of church. And now I'll say this. This is not always easy. You know? Yeah, Ryan, but don't change that, right? (laughs) I like it this way. It's not easy, which is why we need a posture of humility. It takes a serious assessment of our hearts, but it is necessary if we're going to invest in the next generation. You can't have it both ways. Very little in my life have I been able to have all of my preferences and love all of the people. It just doesn't work that way. Second, excuse me, third thing we got to do generations of older age is we got to learn to love them. And I mean, love them. Not just walk by them, but love them. Because maybe the thing that keeps any generation from the church is that we just don't love them very much. Instead, what I see is a lot of cynicism and criticism of younger generations, which is nothing new, of course. It's nothing new. Look, this is from Time Magazine, 1990, okay? This is about Gen X. That's me, by the way. This is what they write in Time Magazine. They have trouble making decisions. They'd rather hike in the Himalayas than climb a corporate ladder. They crave entertainment, but their attention span is as short as a zap of a TV dial. Oh, how about the New York Times? This was written in 1976. This is for those of you who are a part of the boomer generation. They wrote this about this. The now generation has become the me generation. (laughs) 
Hesiod, in 8th century BC, wrote this about the next generation. I see no hope for the future of our people if they are dependent on the frivolous youth of today. (laughs) This is nothing new. Criticism and cynicism has been happening for thousands of years towards the next generation. And is it any wonder why they don't want anything to do with the church at times? I mean, it is easy to criticize the next generation. I get it. They live in my home. Okay? They don't do it like I do it. They don't act like I act. They don't dress like I dress. But let's be real, not a whole lot has changed. And the next generation doesn't need our criticism any more than we did when we were their age. By the way, can I just tell you that one of my greatest joys these days is asking questions of the teenagers in my life? When's the last time you asked a question of a teenager? Like a genuine, I want to know something about you. I ask um, our teenagers in our church and in my house and their friends, about their music and their social life, some word they just said that I'm like, I don't, what is that? I don't understand. And then I try to use the word and they make fun of me because I did it wrong. It's a whole thing. But here's the thing. I love to ask them questions because I'm genuinely curious about their lives because I really do love you, next generation. I really do love you. I want to know you. I want to know about you. I want to know what is going to draw you in that you might know who Jesus is. And so, friends, here's the thing. A surefire way to know if you really love the next generation is to assess your level of genuine curiosity in them. Ask yourself the question, am I curious or am I critical? You know, what what they need to know it's the same thing we all need to know, that we're loved, that people don't just have an agenda for our lives, that we will set aside our cynicism and our preferences and our criticism to know that they are loved by God and by us. They need us to give them opportunities to be included and affirmed in how God has made them, that they are loved by not just us, but by their creator. To the next generation. I want to say a few things to you. The first thing I want to say to you is forgive us. We, we haven't always gotten this right. We won't always get it right. Guess what? When you're 35 and 45, you won't get it right either. But I want to tell you this. We want to. We're sorry for the ways that we criticize you the ways that we you know, put our preferences over top of you. We're sorry if we haven't made you feel like this is home to you, that we've made you feel inferior. And we're sorry if we haven't always loved you well, so forgive us. Yeah. The second thing I want to say to you, next generation, is I want you involved here. I want you to get involved. We don't want to be a church where the younger generations just sort of sit on the sideline and wait for their turn. We want you to get involved and get involved now. I'm just telling you, in this room, this morning, there were two teenagers and a young adult helping with this service, right? Emma was singing. Evan was playing drums. Sabrina's in the back running our live stream right now. 
younger generations involved in what's happening here. We need you to be part of this. We want you to put your gifts to use within the church. We will never say no to you. That is a promise. And if someone does say no to you, you come talk to me. Okay? We will not say no to you. If you say, I want to help out around here, we will find a way for you to help out around here. Amen. There is no reason you shouldn't be running our tech and production teams with your knowledge of technology. I put a teenager back there. They can run that stuff. No, I don't even have to train them. They're just like, this is how you do it, right? You can hang out with kids and teach them what you know, teenagers. Maybe you aspire to be a barista and you want to help out in our cafe or you want to greet or usher or preach. I don't care. I'll preach with you, man. Bring, bring it on and you can play the drums and you can sing. You are valued here and I want you to be an intricate part of what is happening at this church. We will give you an opportunity. And then lastly, my teenagers, my young adults, my kids, will you please, no matter what you do, choose to follow Jesus? Because here's the thing, we're, we're going to disappoint, the church is going to disappoint, your friends are going to disappoint, your parents, previous generations before you, we're, we're going to disappoint. We just are, we're human. We'll say the wrong thing, we'll do the wrong thing, we'll look ridiculous, we'll act ridiculous, but one thing will never disappoint you, and that is Jesus. He will not. So will you do me the favor and choose to follow him, to put his instructions to the test, to read the book that he's given to us, to learn about who he is, to be here on Sunday. And if you're a teenager, please, to be here on Wednesday nights. If you're a young adult, join our young adult group. We've got one now. Just whatever you do, don't give up on Jesus. He is worth your time and your energy at every moment. Let me finish with this. I refuse to be a church where our kids and our grandkids won't want to be when they grow up. I will do, me personally, everything I can to ensure that we become a church that doesn't just assume the next generation is getting it that we will be a church that doesn't just assume they know about Jesus, but intentionally invests our time, our resources, our energies into making sure that they do. I personally will sacrifice all of my preferences, all of them, if it means that the next generation comes to know and love Jesus. I will set aside the kind of music I like, the kind of events I prefer, whether we have coffee or cold, play or cold press or kombucha at the cafe, I don't care. We're going to become, if it's upon me, we are going to become a church that intentionally invests in the next generation every step of the way that they might have a fighting chance to know who Jesus is. Yes. The end. Yes. Let's pray. God, I know we have a long way to go in this. I'm convinced that you've laid this heavy on the hearts of this church. You know, since day one that we moved in this building and we partnered with 
Alice Cooper Solid Rock Teen Center, there was this desire to want to invest in the next generation. And it, you know, we've done what we can. We've, we've tried. We've worked hard. We've prayed. And, and yet I have seen, even in the last year, the last 12 months, God, you do some miraculous stuff in the midst of this. I have watched as you have started to answer the wholehearted prayers of people that have been here for decades. When I show up on a Wednesday night and I see our teenagers engaging with both the scriptures and Jesus and each other, it brings me great joy to know that we're not just a church that's assuming this is going to happen. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would challenge us, not just corporately, but individually, because there are people in our lives, teenagers, young adults, kids in our lives, who we ought to become way more curious about and way less critical of. So I pray you would challenge our assumptions about this. God, that you would lay it heavy on our hearts to be a a place where the next generation would know who you are. And that a thousand generations after us, that that storyline would continue to be true. Lord, I pray for those in this room for our kids, for our teenagers, for our young adults, even those who aren't here, God, that they would find a way to know who you are. That despite whatever ignorance and ridiculousness that a guy like me might have, God, that ultimately they would see you for who you are. That they would choose you. That they would make that commitment to follow you. Thank you for a place, God, where you've laid this heavy on our hearts. Thank you for a place where this is a priority. And as we seek to find out what is it that we ought to be doing, how can we engage in this more, God? I I pray that you'd make it clear to us. Challenge us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, would you stand? We're going to sing one last song that I think is really appropriate for this moment.